This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome uh, to the Mike Francesa podcast as we uh, close out the month of June after a very interesting baseball weekend. Uh, It will be very hard in the regular season to have a more compelling series than the Yankees and the Astros just had at the stadium. I mean, it is telling on a lot of levels. It really sets things up for October uh, and there's a lot of different ways to look at this very dramatic four-game series. I mean, the Yankees get a split, and or it should say the Astros come in and get a split, but you look that the Yankees had to dig deep into their bag of tricks and comebacks to really even get a game in this series. I mean, you eat, you know, a, a well-placed out, and the Astros, or two, and the Astros could have swept this series. I mean, they had, they lost a nightmarish game in game one as the Yankees make a, another ridiculous comeback. And then yesterday, you know, they have the no-hitter going. It really was one pitch that got hung to LeMayu, which changed the game. And you thought the Yankees had the game one in the bottom of the ninth, and obviously Torres rolls his ankle. You, have the, you think the Astros are going to break it open and King comes up with some tremendous pitches in big spots to get pop-ups. And then you get another big hit from Judge who has had a habit of it. I'll tell you, uh, right in front of our eyes, you see two guys who are very, very big leaders for the MVP because how many hits, how many big hits have you seen Judge get this year? How many big hits have you seen Alonzo get this year? I mean, right now, you couldn't give the MVP to anybody else in either league. I mean, these are your MVPs, and you've watched them literally carry their teams at times this year. And the Yankees, in some regards, for all its success, it is a very odd team. You know, it does some things very well. It clearly has improved its defense dramatically. The shortstop really solidified things in a very big way. That was the biggest move they've made this year. But they've also gotten some incredible uh, pitching performances. Uh, And that's where we start. As Chapman is ready to come back, and it sounds like he is, this is going to be interesting for the decision one. But to me, there's no decision at all. Holmes is your closer. Let Chapman become a prominent eighth inning, seventh inning, eighth inning, depending on the matchups pitcher. Let's see how that works with Chapman loading up for Holmes and go there. Holmes right now, I mean, he leads the majors in everything. You're going to use him as your closer. There's nothing else to discuss. There's no discussion here. I would be blown away if they made Chapman the closer right now. And I think Holmes, it's his job, unless somebody starts really ripping him and his effectiveness goes way down, he's your closer going forward. But let's be fair here. 
in in straight objectivity, even if you are the biggest of Yankee fans, the Astros showed you, A, that they are the other team in the American League this year, and B, that they can stand toe-to-toe with the Yankees in every department. They got a couple of really bad hitters in their lineup, and so are the Yankees. Some guys who look like automatic outs, so do the Yankees. And the Yankees are a little better in the back of the bullpen. The Yankees starting pitching looks a little better, but look how good and how dominant the Astros were at times in this series, especially with the string of no-hit innings. With the performance on Saturday, followed by what they did yesterday, it was mind-boggling. Watching that game yesterday. And watch the innings tick away, and the Yankees having put together that biggest string, the biggest string of no-hit innings by a team since 1961. It was amazing that they came back and won that game, but the Yankees have come back and won a game like that so many times this year. And in this game, to me, it was one pitch. It was a pitch that got hung to LeMayu. He didn't miss it. You know, King hung one to Bergman, and Bergman missed it. He fouled it off. And he wound up getting a walk. And he popped up Tucker in a big spot. Tucker is a dangerous hitter. And that was the at-bat. That was a great at-bat. A great job by King in that game. But the bottom line is, you know, the Yankees this year haven't missed those opportunities. When they get an opportunity, they run right through the door. And that's why they've had as many comebacks, and that's why they have the incredible record that they have this year. The other story that bears watching in the American League right now is the Red Sox. You go back, the Red Sox were 10 and 19. Since that time, the Red Sox are 32 and 12. Right now, they've won seven in a row and eight of 10, but they are 32 and 12 since a 10 and 19 start and have propelled themselves into second place. Now, I'm not telling you they're going to catch the Yankees, but we thought the Red Sox were going to have a, you know, we're going to be sellers this year. We thought the Red Sox were going to have an invisible season. Well, here they are, 11 games over 500. After a 32-12 and 12 run that nobody has really even acknowledged. Utterly remarkable what they've done. And then the other side, conversely, you have the White Sox. Bobby Valentine thought the White Sox were a 95-win team this year. I don't think anybody didn't expect the White Sox, myself included, to win over 90 games this year. We all thought they would. Maybe they still will. But right now they find themselves banged up with La Russa making crazy statements. And the team is three games under 500. And they have not been able to do anything except spin their wheels all year. I mean, all year. But while the White Sox can't get going, the Red Sox have really gotten going. And their run differential on the season is ahead of the Astros right now. I mean, they really have turned it around in a big way. And instead of them jettisoning players into the pennant races, you know what? They could be buyers here. This year has turned dramatically. The question is, do the Red Sox believe it? The Red Sox are very honest about their own, 
they've been very good at being very honest about what they should do with their seasons. That's been one of their big pluses in the last decade. They know when they should go and they know when they shouldn't go. Very interesting to see how they handle this. The Mets, on the other hand, suffered a tough loss yesterday, but the way to look at this is realistically, and that is that the Mets have not taken that big step backwards that everyone worried about, despite DeGrom's absence, despite how long Scherz is out, and Scherzer, who's going to have another rehab start Tuesday, clearly wasn't completely comfortable with what happened last week. He's not going to come back until he's completely ready. Scherzer is the ultimate pro. He knows himself. He knows what he needs to do. He will come back when he's ready to come back. And when he comes back, he will be here the rest of the way. The Mets have been able to maintain that lead after the hot run. Atlanta's played 500 baseball since then. The lead is still five games. Philly's moving into a better spot, but now they have some key injuries. They're still eight games out. The Mets are still playing 20 20 games above 500, 635 baseball. They are doing everything they need to do. They're ecstatic and should be ecstatic with the position they have right now. And yes, there is going to come a moment where they need to make decisions about their pitching. This is going to be a very big month for the Mets. Because the Mets, in the next month, have to make assessments about where they are going to improve this team. You know they're going to improve it. But they have to take very, and this is where Buck will be a huge, a a huge plus. He will know exactly what he needs to get by. And he will be very honest in his assessment about where the pitching is. And that's what the Mets have to worry about right now. They have Diaz. They'll add a pitcher in the bullpen. They'll take somebody's starter who's going to get dealt for prospects and turn him into their eighth inning guy. And hopefully he does well. Sometimes those guys do well. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they make a big contribution. Sometimes they don't. So a little bit of a, you know, 50-50 proposition there. But they're going to do that. We know that. The question that they have to answer is, where are they at the top of the rotation? They're going to get Scherzer back when they can stamp him as the man and know he's a given and that he's finally healthy. And that might not come to the end of July, for all we know. Might not come to the middle of July. Whenever it comes, it's going to come. The question now becomes, where are we with DeGrom? Where are we honestly with DeGrom? There is no way there are not discussions inside the Met front office about, okay, how do we attack this without DeGrom this year? Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Doesn't mean we're not going to see DeGrom and see a good DeGrom. We don't know that. But the Mets have to be realistic. They have to figure out now how they can challenge to get to a World Series without DeGrom. And are they good enough to do it? The Dodgers have left enough vulnerabilities 
Milwaukee's solid, but they're just they're not they're not overwhelming. San Diego's solid, but they're not overwhelming. Atlanta's dangerous, but they're not overwhelming. The Dodgers can be overwhelming, but they haven't had that run yet where they have everything going together, the pitching and the power and the hitting. I mean, they have some guys that we've talked about last week with Bobby who are just having terrible seasons. I mean, it's amazing their run differential is as high as it is because their offense has been really inconsistent at best. But their pitching has been shockingly good at, at spots that you didn't expect it. They have gotten it, you know, from a couple of guys who they didn't expect it from. You know, it happens. You know, you get years like that. Gonsolin and Anderson, I mean, who would think that those guys would have, you know, 17 wins between them? With guys pitching to the ERAs like, like, like Gonsolin's pitching to. He's got a 1.5 ERA. But the Mets have the wherewithal to get whatever they think they need. You can check off a reliever, they're going to get one. They will dabble with the idea of an extra bat. Does he come in the, in the person of a catcher? Maybe. That's always an expensive proposition if you go and get somebody's catcher, though. It's going to cost you. If they go get Contreras, it's going to cost them. You know, maybe some of the bats they thought were going to be available, a lot of Red Sox are not going to be available now. But the Mets... The make or break for the Mets will not be about whether they're going to the postseason this year. They're going to the postseason. The question is, can they get a handle on exactly where and what their starting pitching is going to look like on October 1st? The answer is, right now, that is a very tall order. Right now, that is very very hard to do. Ask the Mets right now who pitches game two of a playoff series. They're going to tell you sure as a pitches game one, but who pitches game two? Right now, nobody knows. And that's a question they need to be able to answer at a given point. And I think that point is the middle of August. At that point, they have to be honest about what they have and who they are. But what they are right now is a team that is run is still running and hiding in the division. And is still sporting by a percentage point the best record in the league. And that's a solid place. And they have not at all. They haven't set the world on fire, but they haven't hit the skids. They haven't had that awful two weeks. It hasn't happened. And standing there in a very big way are obviously Alonzo and, and, and Lindor, who, you know, between them have 125 RBIs. And Alonzo's had an amazing season. Lindor's had 56 RBIs. Your shortstop plays every day. And these two guys play every day. And, you know, he's already got 69 RBIs to lead the major leagues. And Alonzo's, you know, 
got as many of you as a judge. Lindor's got as many of you as a judge. But there's going to come a reckoning with the Mets where they have to honestly make an assessment. And that's going to be very telling because it's going to, it's going to really be what they're about. Can they rely on DeGrom at any point in the season? A couple of days from July, and he's not close to pitching. Scherzer might still be two weeks away, might be three weeks away. I don't know. But he's coming back. And we don't know what to say about DeGrom. And that is a very large question mark. Hockey season landed last night. I got to tell you, I, I really enjoyed the playoffs. I give Tampa a lot of credit. Uh, I'm fascinated by their coach. They played their hearts out. You could see they, at times, were on very tired legs in this series. In the overtime, the other night, they were in, on very tired legs. Yesterday, I thought, in the second and third periods, they were on tired legs. They gave it what they had, and the other team had more firepower. So congratulations to Colorado, and uh, it was a valiant effort. And I thought the playoffs were very, very good. I want to uh, commend Brian Gelsile, who was on last week, and he was uh, totally right. He and I both agreed that we thought Smith was the third best player. We did not think he deserved to go one, and he didn't. You could decide about Holmgren. I'm fascinated by Holmgren. Best all-around player we all knew was Manchero. I think we agree with that. But I think Holmgren is a fascinating player. A lot of people have knocked him because they don't think they can get anything out of a guy built that way. You know what? This is a different guy. I think if he is coached right and utilized properly, he is going to be a very interesting basketball player in the years to come. I am fascinated by him because he has some unique skills with a seven six wingspan he can dribble it he can pass it he can play pick and pop he can play pick and roll he can go in and block shots right and left fascinating he's got to put on weight he's got to get stronger they're going to challenge him they're going to it's going to physically it's going to be a huge transition it's going to take him a couple of years it always takes big men a couple of years but he's going to be a very very useful player And if the Knicks don't get Brunson, I don't know what they're doing. So hopefully they do, because if they don't, I have no idea what they're going to do. Your emails when we return. Email the Mike Francesa podcast. Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Emails, questions, comments, send them to mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Here we go. Keith from Westchester. How do you think George Steinbrenner would have reacted if someone like Steve Cohn owned the Mets during his tenure? Would he have tried to keep up with Cohn's spending? And if so, how do you think that would have turned out against someone as wealthy as Cohn? Um, remember, they changed the rules a lot to harness George. They were able to do that to a decent extent. So the ability to do what George used to do is no longer. But I think George was so competitive. He would have gone overboard to compete 
And that might not have been wise because his pockets, although deep, were not nearly as deep as Cohen's. Cohen's are insanely deep. And that's going to come into play. And it's going to leave a smile on Met fans' faces because, hey, there's no bill he can't pay. And that's understate that and think about it for a second. Underline that and think about it for a second. There's no bill he can't pay. Um, Phil from Stanhope, have you kept in touch with McMahon? I feel like you were very loyal to him at FAN. Uh, Mink's my man. Um, Mink and I always keep in touch. Uh, great guy. Real character. And really a, a really big part. It's funny. The fans, whenever we went out, Mike and the Mad Dog, Just Me After Dog Left, the fans always, always responded to Mink, asked about Mink. It was amazingly how popular Mink was with the fan base. He really was. And who he was was who he was. I mean, the guy on the air who we all teased, who always seemed like he was locked in the 1950s, who couldn't ad lib out of a paper bag, all those things were Mink's qualities and his charm. So, yes, uh, wonderful guy. And as I always told him, and this meant a lot to him, you know, my successes was his, were his successes because he was always with me every step of the way, whether it was Mike and the Mad Dog, whether it was my program After Dog, whether it was the Sunday program, Mink was always with me. Usla was with me a lot. Mink was with me always. So he took that as being part of, and I always tried to include Usler and Mink in whatever success we had so that they felt a part of it. Um, Ryan and Jersey, at this current moment, would you sign up to have Alonzo or Judge uh, on your team for the next five seasons? Wow, that, you know what? That's a very good question. That's a very interesting question. Um... Age is an issue. No question about it. I mean, before next season, before next season ends, Judge is going to be 31 years of age. So those are very key years. Alonzo is 27. I think for five years, Judge is the more complete player. But I don't think the gap, although they're very different players, Alonzo's that classic right-hand slugger, a la Harmon Killebrew. That's the guy you, that's the prototype you use for Alonzo. He's Harmon Killebrew. And that's a great compliment. Great compliment. Because he was a great right-hand power bat. Slugger. Slugger. That's what Alonzo was. He's a slugger. Judge is an all-around player. He is a slugger. Judge is a five-tool star. But Alonzo is a slugger. And I think they both are very, very valuable uh, players in, in their own rights. Uh, Stanley, do you think uh, Tom Thibodeau made a big mistake by not playing the young guys enough, uh, especially Obi Toppin? I think he miscalculated how good Toppin could be. Um, 
Thibodeau's mentality has always been to build the greatest defensive nucleus he can. If you can't play meaningful defense for him, you're not his guy. And that's why they went off the track last year. They brought him people who didn't fit what he does. His mentality is to have scrappers and guys. It reminds me of UB Brown a lot. The guys who will fit that system, will play hard, will, you know, get dirty under their fingernails, will scratch and claw. And those are the guys he wants. Uh, the Knicks have to go to their youth. They have no choice, but they need to get a break here and get Brunson. Philip, Mike, can you please give your opinion as to why Dave Concepcion is not in the Hall of Fame? Made the all-decade team. Uh, hit when shortstops really weren't expected to hit and played gold glove shortstop. David Concepcion was a prototypical shortstop for the era of the non-offensive shortstops. Guys who might steal a base, the Louis Aparicio, but you also had the Mark Belanger, defensive first players. Davey Concepcion played on a great offensive team, the Big Red Machine, uh, and had his moments offensively, but was a great defensive shortstop. What hurt those shortstops was the explosion of offensive shortstops that came next. Jeter, of course, Garcia Parra, and above all, A-Rod. That's what blew those other shortstops out of the water. Uh, email Vinny. I know one of your hobbies is stock market. Uh, very much so. What do you think, make of what's going on? We knew once the Fed was going to reverse course, it was going to take its toll on the stock market. What we didn't count on was how the market was going to digest this rampant inflation and how the Fed is going to be asked to attack this rampant inflation and whether this rampant inflation can be brought under control. I ask people that I trust in the market, the Josh Browns of the world, about stuff like that because they are much better at the bigger picture than I am. Uh, but that is the question right now, and it's a delicate one. I would be very, very cautious right now. you got to keep your foot in if you have been in, at least in somewhat I wouldn't be anywhere nearly fully invested right now, but I would have myself in stocks that have taken a beating. You know, it's funny. I did an interview with Steve Serby, a very good interview that somebody sent me a copy of, and it was a really good interview. I read it recently, and Steve asked great questions. He's a good guy, too, and he asked great questions. He ran in the post on 12, 15, and 17, just as I was leaving the fan. And he asked me for two stocks that I thought going forward were good plays for the people. I gave him Amazon and NVIDIA. From that point to this point, because I still own both of them, Amazon is up 165%. NVIDIA is up over 400% from that day. And that's having come down about 30% this year with the correction. Everything's come down. If you've owned tech stocks, and I'm sure you did if you were in the market, you owned tech stocks. 
you owned Google or you owned uh, Apple or you owned Amazon or you owned NVIDIA or you owned any one of those 20 or 30 big tech stocks, they've all come down markedly. Some have come down a lot more than 30%. The big ones, the FANG stocks, as they call them, have come down about 30%. I still own Amazon and NVIDIA. I wouldn't get rid of either one of them going forward. Amazon got down to 102. It's back to 116. NVIDIA has gone up, gone up in the last couple of days and is still maybe as dynamic a stock as there is for the next generation of artificial intelligence, which is the next wave. So I would be very careful right now. I would listen to the people you trust. I would be very cautious. I would not be fully invested, but I would be at least 50% invested. And I think here's the one thing you know. If you stay in stocks long term and ride the waves and do not buckle and you have the time where you don't need the money for retirement right now. If it's money for your kids or money going forward, the money for my kids, which I've invested for each of them, I have never sold one share of stock ever in the last 10 years. And I haven't sold one since. For them, I would never sell. For me, it's a little different on the money that I think about that I might need. I've been very cautious with that money, and it's about 40% to 50% invested right now. The rest is in, you know, day-to-day stuff. I'd be very cautious until we figure out the answer on this inflation, which may take another three, four, or five months. Catch you later in the week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.